growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week, we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to every single unique burner, day-to-day grinders, and grateful-to-be-alive sapiens. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. You know, as with all progress, great discussion is the prelude to great change. Our guest today is one of those warriors who not only talks about change, but works tirelessly to make it happen. Considered the architect of marijuana legalization in Washington State, Allison Holcomb was the primary author of Washington State Initiative Measure Number 502 and director of New Approach Washington, a political action committee that led the campaign to its passage by a huge 56 to 44 margin in November of 2012. The documentary Evergreen chronicles this fight, and you should check it out for free on Netflix. Since that major victory, she has been named as the director of the ACLU National Campaign for Smart Justice, a campaign that is supported by $50 million in grants from the Open Society Foundations. Their purpose? To reform state-level criminal justice policies that have increased incarceration rates dramatically during a period of declining crime and have exacerbated racial disparities. With over 2.2 million in our country's adult jail and prison population, that's one in 100 adults. The U.S. currently has the highest incarceration rate in the world. The ACLU intends to cut that number in half by 2020. There's a battle in this country right now, a fight to change this oppressive environment that puts people in jail, rips families apart, and destroys lives. Many of us in the movement, myself included, mainly focus on the normalization and reducing the social stigma associated with cannabis use. But Allison Holcomb is someone who fights for us on the legalization front. Welcome, Allison, to The Grow Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing for such a long time, working with Normal. The title of today's show is The Cannabis Revolution and the Restoration of Civil Liberties. You know, it's not just about smoking weed. Our society is deeply plagued from both human and financial standpoints. So let's start by asking you, what led you into this particular aspect of the cause? What drives you? You know, I came to this cause from my past experience as a criminal defense lawyer and seeing what was happening with the execution of our marijuana prohibition laws, the way that they were literally destroying lives, changing the trajectory of individuals' futures, and tearing apart families. You've already well described the problems that we face as a country with over-criminalization and over-incarceration in the case of marijuana laws. Yes, You know, this isn't exactly a feel-good topic, but I feel it's something that we have to discuss. And the ACLU is something you hear about all the time in the news and other media. But until there's an issue that affects you directly, some people may not really understand what the ACLU stands for. Could you tell our listeners what the ACLU is all about? Sure. So ACLU stands for the American Civil Liberties Union. And what the organization really stands for is protecting our individual rights preserved to us via the Bill of Rights from being trampled upon by overzealous government. So if the government's knocking down your front door to come and search your home because you may or may not be growing marijuana plants there, that's the kind of issue that really gets ACLU lawyers upset 
And we have a very strong reputation as bringing cases in the courts, but we also have a very strong advocacy arm, and that's the work that I'm doing, is trying to change laws, trying to change culture, trying to expand the protections that were given under the Bill of Rights in a meaningful way. Mm. Is this a symptom of solely of corrupt or bad government, or is this heavily driven by industry and large corporations? You know, um, it's very interesting. I would say probably both of those factors. You know, when you're talking about the government, you're talking about when it comes to over-incarceration, the war on drugs, really this attitude of getting quote-unquote tough on crime, that the way that we can deal with a lot of the social struggles that we face as a nation is just by rounding up people, locking them up, calling them bad guys and putting them behind bars, and then we don't really have to deal with that. So I, I think government has played a huge role, and specifically elected officials who run the on that kind of approach to social challenges. But then you've, you know, put your finger on another insidious force that more and more individuals are real to and get very upset about, and that is the introduction of private corporations into our criminal justice system, people that actually make a profit off of keeping people behind bars or keeping them on an electronic home monitoring case or charging them outrageous prices for phone calls to be able to talk to their loved ones while they're behind bars. So the idea that we as a country would allow companies to make profit off of putting people in cages and separating from their families is very disturbing and does have a significant impact. I would say, though, that a third factor is simply our unwillingness to grapple with these questions. It's uncomfortable. As you said, this is not a very easy topic, very difficult, and we need to be the kinds of educated and outspoken voters and people engaged in our communities to turn around a culture that is allowing the government and these private companies to behave in these ways. Yeah, we, we no doubt live in a great country, but its greatness lies within its citizens, not its government. And mandatory sentencing for nonviolent offenses has led to a skyrocketing incarceration. And now we're dealing with privatized prisons where corporations make money. For every single warm body a judge or an elected official you know, puts into a prison cot. And what a lot of people don't know is that many of these private contracts have minimum population requirements, which causes states to pay a penalty if their prison population drops too low, which sure seems to me to be kind of a conflict of interest. Um, or at the very least, just plain wrong. What is the ACLU doing to correct this gross injustice? You know, we have a private prison campaign within the ACLU that is very specifically focused on bringing to light these very problems that you've identified, in addition to pointing out um, these gross motives for jails and prisons to keep heads in beds, as we call it, to meet these quotas. We're also bringing to light the fact that a lot of these private prisons have been sold to elected officials as being cost-saving mechanisms that, you know, these private companies are more efficient and they can run their facilities at a better price than can be obtained through running them through public departments of correction. And what we found is, in fact, that the evidence suggests perhaps otherwise. And in some of these facilities, the kinds of cost-cutting measures that are taken 
reducing health care for inmates, having substandard safety precautions, having no programming to help with rehabilitation and reentry, not only results in riots, we've seen very recently in prison guards being assaulted, inmates being assaulted, kinds of one prison facility was running what was referred to as a gladiator school, letting the inmates go after each other and be very brutal and violent. These, of course, result in expensive lawsuits. And ultimately, what's important for citizens to know is that it's not helping public safety at all. The people that are coming out of these facilities are not in a better place than they when they went in, and it's actually undercutting our safety at our expense. Whoever came up with the idea that the only way to have good medicine is to profit from it or, you know, to profit from putting people in jail, it just, it seems antithetical to me. It's just so wrong. And it just seems to be spreading. But thanks to you and the Campaign for Smart Justice, hopefully we're going to do something about this. You know, we're going to take a quick break right here for our sponsors. And we're going to be right back to talk more about this very important subject with Allison Holcomb. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Grow Show on Cannabis Radio. I'm talking with Allison Holcomb, and we're discussing the cannabis revolution and the restoration of civil liberties. You know, the United States is the only country in the world that permits permanent disenfranchisement of felons even after completion of their sentences. According to the Sentencing Project, over 5.3 million Americans were unable to vote due to a felony conviction in the 2008 elections. That's one in 40 adults. This included 1.4 million African-American men, more than 676,000 women, and 
2.1 million ex-offenders who have completed their sentences. So much for paying your dues to society. Currently, 11 states have total disenfranchisement. If you've been convicted of a felony, you cannot vote while you're in prison, out on parole, on probation, or even post-sentence. So essentially, you're a citizen without a country. In other words, you're screwed. With legalization criminal justice reform, will millions of American citizens finally have the opportunity to be re-enfranchised, having their full voting rights restored? Hmm, that's exactly what we would like to see happen. We would like to see for everyone who has served their time, who has, you know, met all of the conditions of their sentence to be able to participate fully in civil society and the opportunity to vote, to engage in a meaningful way with our democracy. That is critical to keeping society the safe and free place that we want America to be. So we're going to begin by focusing on getting people out of cages. That's our number one priority. From there, we want to restore all of their civil rights once they've been restored to their communities, and that includes, first and foremost, that right to vote. And we're seeing important progress in this area. With California's passage of Proposition 47 last year, many of the changes that were made to the kinds of criminal penalties that people received under pre-existing sentences were, the changes were made retroactive. So if you were convicted of a felony 10 years ago, and it was one of the felonies that was changed to a misdemeanor by that law, you now have the opportunity to come back to be resentenced, to have that felony removed, and to have your rights fully restored. And those are the kinds of reforms we need to see moving forward, is restoring people to their full citizenship. Well, it sounds like we're learning a little bit. If there's no incentive for someone who's committed a crime to that they're going to be reinstated into society and have another chance at life, you know, we're just really increasing the recidivism rate and, and really not giving people an incentive. While the number of additional voters may or may not be enough to definitively change the outcome of presidential elections, one thing is certain. The influx of new breed of voter will have a profound effect on state and local elections. If that occurs, what do you predict will happen to the political landscape as it exists today? You know, I think the generation that we're seeing come up that is really has access to democratized information through social media, through the internet, through so many websites, blogs, the information that people have available to them now is very powerful and empowering. And it's also facilitating organizing strategies. So it's easier for young people to tell somebody, join me, take action, let's do something, let's petition our legislators. I think that we are on a good path that we're going to see with the generation that's coming up right now, more informed voters, more engaged voters, and sort of a, what I hope we will see is a transition from this focus on very top-down politics, very much controlled by paid media, what we think of as wholesale politics, you know, running ads, to much more of the retail level politics. And when we think about people going out and knocking on doors, that's kind of the most traditional form of that is I, um, but I think a lot of the activism that's started in social media, but is out people into the streets to, to protest what's happening in Baltimore, to protest Ferguson, to demand their rights in a very visual way. 
I don't see that slowing down. And I see politicians needing to be responsive to that. And more and more people are understanding, we don't like you marginalizing segments of our population. Those are our friends that you've put that felony conviction on and that you're not letting vote and not letting get jobs and not letting go to school. And we want a different kind of America. And they're demanding it. And I think they're going to get it. That's great. People out there, you have to get involved in something. I mean, we really do have the power. We just don't use it. For example, I mean, look, at, I know it's a small country, France, but boy, when those people have a labor, day, just get out there on the roads, they block the streets and that's it. Nothing happens. Everything stops and they at least get a, get a dialogue started. So these things are very important that young people and, and everybody, you know, get more involved. They have some power to change things. You know, our country has a history of being unable to offer equitable remedies to wronged citizens, probably due to the sheer expanse of the injustice, and hopefully we're going to get better at that. Do you think there's any chance the government would be forced to return seized property or make some other type of reparations to the owner or their families? Are we looking at any sort of restitution, or is the idea just to get everybody out of jail and go from there? Well, you know, it's it's such an important question that you're asking. This is one that, I mean, it has very broad implications, right? We still have a conversation that's been percolating at the edges of our consciousness about reparations for slavery, right? And it speaks to the foundation of our society and whether we truly are a country in which people start out with a level playing field and have the same opportunities to get ahead, the same opportunities to succeed. And so whether it's the poverty that's visited on families that is a legacy of racism and the ongoing sort of caste system within the U.S., that's what's happened is, as the uh, victories of the civil rights era made it more and more difficult for people to discriminate against others based on the color of their skin, we've just moved that over to the criminal justice system. Now, instead of arresting you or denying you a job for being black, I'm just going to hang an arrest for marijuana possession on you and you'll get that conviction. And then, oh, by the way, if you're growing a plant, that means I get to seize your house. And I'm not going to give you a right to counsel. You're going to have to pay for any attorney that you want. And I can take this property away from you. And as we know in our society, Wealth really translates in a lot of ways to political power and to engagement in community. So, you know, I will say that, again, we're going to start by getting people out of cages because that in and of itself is a horrific experience and dehumanizing. And for us, it seems like it's the place that we need to start. But the conversation is really about restoring people to their full status as citizens within this country, meaning that they have full participation. And yes, if they had property taken away from them, if they had costs put on them, unfair legal costs, if we look at the problem of debtors' prisons with people that get these ridiculous fines that collect interest, 12% and higher types of rates, and we're never going to be able to get out from under that crushing debt, these are part of the problem as well. And so all of that has to be taken into consideration when we examine the question of how we're going to turn this country back into one that we can be proud of, that truly is the land of the free and the brave. Mm. We have to take our country back, and I'm just guessing, but I'm thinking maybe you might be in support of Bernie Sanders, as his <laughs> topics are all about stopping the prisons for pay. And so 
we're getting down to the end of the show here, and I just want to say that we live in an era of great change. A peaceful, unstoppable revolution is underway, and our greatest weapon is our voice. And these days, we often leave our guests with what is probably the most important question of the time. What can we as individuals do to further the movement towards cannabis legalization and normalization? Education is so key, and I know so many of your listeners have educated themselves about the history of our laws, the science of this plant, what the real impacts of these laws are. Educate yourself first, and then you absolutely have to educate your friends and neighbors and vote, right? That is what is going to make the impact. Talk about what your opinions are, share those opinions, make sure that your elected leaders know those opinions, take every opportunity that is presented to you to petition a lawmaker on their position on cannabis. Don't stop asking the hard questions and vote, vote, vote. Absolutely agreed. Thank you so much, Allison, for your impassioned information. And I want to wish you good luck in your revolution. And Right now, we have to take our last break for our sponsors, give them some love, and we'll be back once again with Allison Holcomb. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Now it's time for the final segment of the show I like to call Ask Kyle. Every day we get questions from people out there listening to the show and wondering if I can help them out. So here's a few questions from our followers that sparked my interest this week. Question from Mark McCoy on Facebook. Kyle. 
a buddy of mine has a batch that has been in flower for a week. Well, he missed a few segments on his timer, so his lights are supposed to go off from 10 to 10, but they were screwed up and go off at 10 and come back on at 8, then go back off again at 10. My question is, do you think they are effed? I told him big possibility of seeds. Should he scrap the garden? Do you think he should scrap the garden and start fresh or give them a go? They look really healthy and are starting to show signs of budding. Well, Mark, it's always not good to mess with the photo period. It can bring on seeds or hermaphrodism. But the thing to do really is since it's only an hour and a lot of strains do fine with 10 or 11 hours of darkness, especially once they've been flowering. So you're just going to have to look at them. And if it looks like they're flowering normally, then I just go ahead with it and just keep an eye into the middle of flowering. And hopefully you don't see any signs of male flowers and everything goes wonderful. From Christopher O via email, what's the best resource to start for a new grower? Well, back in my day, I always read High Times Magazine. The Q&A in the back section there, the Ask Danny Danko section, used to be Ask Ed Rosenthal. That's a really good place. And as mentioning Ed Rosenthal, he's got a number of books out there that are very, very good for beginning growers, as does Jorge Cervantes. So pick up a book. And also the internet is a great place. Uh, let me suggest my free growers forum on kylecushman.com where you can start your own threads on pretty much any subject you like. And we've got a really good community there of non-idiot people who really like to help out. Another question from Yaro P, also via email. Have you ever grown anything other than marijuana, avocados, oranges, etc.? Actually, Yarrow, all as a child, I always had a garden growing up, a vegetable garden. Uh, Of course, it was mostly tended by my mother, but I really, really liked going out there and weeding the garden and feeding the garden. I have grown some really big tomato plants and some roses while I was testing out my Vega Matrix to make sure that they were good on uh, other things besides cannabis. So yeah, and I would like to grow some more. I suggest everybody grow some vegetables for their own use and maybe an indoor herb garden would be nice too. From Carl K. via Twitter, do you believe in the healing effects of low THC strains or do you think a hybrid CBD is a better choice? Well, actually, Carl, they're both good choices. Low THC strains are very important for people who don't really just want to get all messed up and are just looking for a little bit of actual medicinal help from cannabis. Sometimes low THC is just the ticket for older people or less experienced smokers. And of course, CBD is just a wonderful medicine in total. If you've got any kind of a physical or mental handicap or disability and you don't want to feel high at all or are affected negatively by an altered state of consciousness, then CBD is definitely the way to go for you. Let's see, from collecting the seeds... If two growers use the seeds from the same plant, can the THC levels still differ depending on the nutrients, soil, etc.? Absolutely. The THC levels are going to be a result not only of the genetics of the plant, but of the grower and the grower environment. So depending on how well you treat that plant and how healthy it is through all its stages of life is going to have a definite effect on the ultimate level of THC on the finished product. The soil and nutrients may not have as much of effect on the THC levels because they're just meant to facilitate the growth of the plant. So if you've got a healthy plant, then you're going to have the highest THC levels possible. As far as if the 
medicine is actually good for you is more dependent on the food that you feed it and the soil that you use. Hopefully, you're using something organic or veganic that doesn't leave residues or anything bad left behind. Finally, what do trichomes have to do with flavor? From Colo Gym, I think that's Colorado Gym. Trichomes, those are the little crystals that you see that get stuck on your bag or your container afterwards. And those trichomes are all loaded with all of your terpenes, your cannabinoids, and all of the wonderful flavor and aroma profiles. So the more trichomes, the more flavor. And handle them carefully when you process your marijuana too because you rub them off and you're rubbing off your flavor. Well, unfortunately, our time is up. It always goes by so quickly. Allison, I want to thank you so much for all of the information that you shared with us today, and thank you for your work that you're doing out there. Is there a website or email or something on social media that you'd like to share with the listeners so that they can look you up if they'd like to get some more information? Absolutely. If folks want to go to aclu.org forward slash smartjustice, they can learn more about the campaign and ways to get involved. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And right now, we are out of time. And I want to thank the producers for making the show possible. Please make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media and upcoming events I'll be attending. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. And as always, please stay lifted. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.